What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I've done everything in my power to blunt Putin's gas price hike. Gas prices, for the first time ever, now exceed $5 a gallon. The president is, is going to see over a dozen leaders. Yes, we can expect the president to see the crown prince. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top name. So we've made some news here today. Senator Sanders says he'd be open-minded. I believe in bipartisanship, but more important, I believe we have a corrupt political system. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Yes, President Biden is going to Saudi Arabia. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. As gas prices hold at record highs and Republican criticism only gets worse, we'll talk about the trip to Riyadh. And what Joe Biden's meeting with the crown prince might produce with Daniel Kurtzer, former ambassador to Israel and Egypt, now at the Princeton School of Public Affairs. Analysis from our panel today with Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Doug High, former communications director for the Republican National Committee, back with us today for the hour. And later, a new experiment in politics as the Edward M. Kennedy Institute in Boston kicks off a series of extended debates between Republican and Democratic senators in the search for compromise. We'll have more on the first debate between Bernie Sanders and Lindsey Graham. President Biden trying to get his arms around $5 a gallon gas. He talked about it today before the AFL-CIO big meeting, the trip to Philadelphia. I'm doing everything in my power to blunt Putin's gas price hike. Just since he invaded Ukraine has gone up a dollar seventy-four gallon because of nothing else but that. So I have a plan to bring down the cost of gas and food. It's going to take time, but let the world coordinate the largest release. What I've been able to do, the largest release of oil from the global fund in history million barrels a day. You can now officially add a trip to Saudi Arabia, at, at least confirmed by the White House once and for all. The trip, which will also include stops in Israel, the West Bank, is about more than oil, though, according to Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. To view engagement with Saudi Arabia on energy security as asking for oil is simply wrong, uh, and a misunderstanding of both the complexity of that issue and our multifaceted discussions with the Saudis. So what else is on the agenda? What about Jamal Khashoggi? We discuss with Daniel Kurtzer, former U.S. ambassador to Israel and Egypt, lecturer and Abram professor of Middle East policy studies, now at the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. Ambassador, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Is that true that this trip will be about more than oil? Oh, very much so. It, it's a very complicated, substantive agenda with very severe political implications uh, for failure. Uh, surely he's got to make good on his uh, uh, commitment to try to bring down the uh, the price of oil through uh, increased supply and and other measures. But uh, 
there's the human rights situation with Saudi Arabia. You know, yeah. this is president called Saudi Arabia pariah state. Mm-hmm. And he'll be shaking hands with the man who was responsible for ordering the assassination of Khashoggi. And then there's the Israel and Palestine stops where uh, Israeli policy in the territories is likely to come up. Palestinian demands to reopen their the American consulate general. Every aspect of this trip uh, has uh, complications. Boy. You heard the White House press secretary there a moment ago. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked by reporters today uh, on Air Force One. They were on their way to Philadelphia about the killing of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, for which, as you pointed out, Joe Biden has labeled or once labeled Saudi Arabia a pariah of the world. So how does he bring this up? Here is what she said when she was asked if it would come up. Human rights is always part of the conversation in our foreign uh, our foreign engagements. So that will always be the case. It doesn't it does regardless of who he's meeting with. Uh, we are not but we I want to say we're not overlooking any conduct that happened uh, before uh, the president took office. OK, we're well, not overlooking any conduct. So that sounds like a yes, ambassador. What could Joe Biden say about this to MBS when we're the ones asking for help? You know, part of the issue here is uh, educating our own public. Uh, There was a backgrounder by a senior administration official who tried to lay out all the reasons why we have a strategic relationship with the Saudis. And we do. Uh, There's security in the Gulf, uh, the oil or energy issue, the situation in Yemen, Mm -hmm. uh, climate, you name it. Uh, And then you have human rights, which, uh, at least in the public's mind, seems to be overriding these other issues. So the president, on the one hand, has to tell the American people why he's going to do this. And he's got to impress upon MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, yeah. that it's not it's not simply possible to to forget about what happened to Khashoggi. The Saudis will have to find a way to deal with the perception that uh, they kill people at will when they're uh, uns- dissatisfied with the policies. What if they don't care? Well, that's going to be the problem when he comes back home. Uh, He already faces problems from uh, his own party, let alone the Republicans, uh, who are critical of uh, his decision to go, Mm -hmm. knowing that he's going to have to meet with the crown prince. Uh, And he's going to have to find a way to impress upon the Saudis that our relationship is important enough to them, as it is to us, that they have to bend a little bit. This doesn't result in an apology or something, right? Will America have to take Joe Biden at his word about what was said behind closed doors? I think that's going to be the bottom line. There's, there's no way that MBS is going to apologize publicly. It would diminish the perception of his strength in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, the president can come out of a four eyes meeting and say that, you know, we've reached an understanding that the Saudis uh, know that uh, they, they did something wrong and have undertaken not to do it again. We're spending time with Daniel Kurtzer, former ambassador to Israel and Egypt, now with the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. Donald Trump was very careful, uh, as you well know, ambassador, to not disturb this relationship and specifically, as he would point out, some big defense contracts. How important is it? And by the way, let's listen to him. This is just to go back in time here. This is November of 2018. I'm not going to destroy the world economy. And I'm not going to destroy the economy for our country by being foolish with Saudi Arabia. Was there truth to that, Ambassador? And how important is it for the U.S. to be working with Saudi Arabia as an ally for national security in the Middle East? Forget oil for a minute. 
Well, I think there are three things. Number one, um, the rhetoric around those contracts was much greater than the reality. Uh, the Saudis did not produce uh, the uh, the kind of commitments that uh, President Trump uh, suggested. Number two, uh, the Saudis are important for the United States and for security in the region. They've been an ally of ours for 80 years. Uh, they helped us in various uh, uh, difficult situations, for example, the first Gulf War and in the, uh, the war on terrorism. Uh, they are now being helpful uh, with the situation in Yemen. Uh, and I think the third issue, though, is that uh, we're a country that still pays attention to human rights. And mm -hmm. the Saudis should know this by now. Uh, you know, we usually find ways to uh, mediate our differences of view on that. But uh, the Saudis are going to hear that we are concerned about human rights generally in the kingdom and the, uh, the ongoing concern over the Khashoggi murder. Did Joe Biden say too much as a candidate uh, in, in his early commentary on this? Was that short-sighted for a man who would become president? I, I think the, uh, the rhetoric of candidates generally is uh, overboard. And I think on this case, the use of the word pariah state was probably uh, ill-advised. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's taken 16 months to, to kind of back away a little bit. And the importance of the, the trip to Saudi Arabia indicates that we both may be uh, sobering up. After all, he, when the president goes to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. it's not just to meet the Saudis, but there's a, a, a big summit meeting, including the six Gulf Cooperation Council members, uh, Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq. So that's a quite important uh, multilateral experience, and it uh, reinforces the idea that America is back in the Middle East, that we haven't abandoned that region. How much did Donald Trump's service, for lack of a better word, to Israel and Saudi Arabia disadvantage the relationship with this president now? Or do you not connect those dots? Well, I think they are connected uh, politically. Uh, you know, in Israel at that time, you had a prime minister, Mr. Netanyahu, who was quite overtly supportive of Republicans. Uh, and the Saudis were quite comfortable with Republicans and, and uh, President Trump mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, so there was a problem created not just for President Biden, but for the Democratic Party. And then both countries have had to, to kind of find their way uh, back into a relationship. For Israel, it's been a little bit easier because Netanyahu is out of power. And the coalition, however shaky it is in Israel, uh, has kind of reset the relationship with uh, both the United States and particularly with the Democratic Party. Yeah. This trip will allow the Saudis to do the same thing. And, you know, one of the big deliverables is going to be on energy, as, as you've been reporting. Uh, and if the president can come back and say the Saudis are going to do what they can do to increase production and therefore reduce prices, you know, a lot of people are going to say, all right, we'll swallow hard on human rights and uh, we'll live with uh, with that situation. Well, this is America after all. Uh, Ambassador, what does it mean then, lastly, seeing this trip, hearing about deliverables, to your point, what does it mean about a any possibility of a renewed Iran nuclear deal? Well, I think in some ways that's a separate issue. It's certainly related in terms of the U.S.-Saudi and U.S. Gulf security mm -hmm. uh, cooperation. Uh, those countries are very concerned not only about the Iran, uh, about Iran's nuclear program, but also about its malign activities throughout the region in Yemen, in Lebanon, and in Syria. 
so it's a it's a very uh, critical issue. The JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran, I think is not a certainty. Uh, yeah. The chances of its being concluded are fairly low. But I think a lot of that responsibility lies with the Iranians who have increased their demands for issues outside of the negotiations. For example, removing the Iranian Revolutionary Guards from the terrorism list, something the administration will not do. Good talk to you all hour. Daniel Kurtzer, fascinating conversation with our former ambassador to Israel and Egypt, now working on Middle East policy studies at the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. You won't hear that anywhere else today, and you won't hear our panel. We assemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, gas spurs Biden pivot on Saudis. And as we just discussed with Ambassador Kurtzer, President Biden will meet with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, with a lot on the line. This president, unlike the previous president, is not afraid to talk tough with uh, foreign leaders. So I have every confidence that Senate, uh, that President Biden will handle this very well. Chuck Schumer earlier today, the Senate Majority Leader, with his take, remembering how upset Chuck Schumer was with Donald Trump over all of this back in 2018 when it happened. The president ought to be taking the strongest possible action against the Saudis. There are lots of things that can be done. That was just after details into the killing of Jamal Khashoggi were reported. And that's where we begin with our panel. With insights, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Doug High, is back with us today, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. Jeannie, is President Biden making the right move here? And, and how does he manage this juggling act of somehow condemning MBS for the killing of Khashoggi while asking for them to pump more oil in the kingdom? 
boy, it is a tough needle to thread. And I thought you and the ambassador laid it out so beautifully in your conversation because he talked about, you know, this attempt to educate the public as to why we have a relationship with Saudi Arabia and why the relationship is so important. And yet in, in an effort to do that, you have to say that security in the Gulf, oil and energy, the situation in Yemen, climate, those are more important than human rights of somebody that even the U.S. intelligence community has said brutally murdered a Washington Post reporter. And so threading that in Vidal was very difficult. And you listen to some of the president's friends in the Senate, like Dick Durbin and Ron Wyden and Ben Cardin and others. They are, you know, understanding why he is going, but they are saying if they were asked, they would say you can't trust these people. And that is what the president's dealing with. And throughout all of this, I was thinking this is why it is so much easier to be a senator than it is to be president, because you don't have to make these tough choices. Can't trust them, Doug High, but apparently we need them. Uh, I mean, that seems to be uh, part of the messaging that we're hearing from the White House. And, you know, the fact that they were so reticent to admit that this meeting that clearly was going to happen is, in fact, happening, tells you that they're not entirely comfortable with where they're at right now either. And so, you know, this is exactly that point. These are difficult times and difficult decisions. They knew this in advance, and it's why they tried to shy away from it for as long as they did. This will cap four days of travel in the region uh, Doug, that will include stops as well in Israel, the West Bank, as we discussed with the ambassador. Did they they kind of pad the schedule here to make it look like there was more involved, or is this in fact a necessary trip to the region as opposed to the country? Well, they they both can be true simultaneously. Neither is mutually exclusive. Uh, but clearly, they don't want the only uh, footage, if we actually see footage or, or a picture of this, to be the meeting with MBS. They want to have more to show. They want to show. The president leading as a president should, um, and Israel is a great place for him to do that. So it's not a surprise that they're that they're doing the two in, in tandem. I don't know how many Americans are going to be paying attention to this genie, or if we have a sense of that. There was outrage uh, four years ago when when Jamal Khashoggi was was murdered, and I mean this wasn't just you know this was grisly stuff. There were stories about a bone saw being carried into the embassy uh, where this happened. Americans are, though, obsessed with gas prices right now. And so I'm assuming the White House can see the other side of this. They can see the other side of this valley, Jeannie, and they hope it's a celebration for something less than $5 a gallon. Yeah, and now I have a hypothetical for you, Joe. Imagine this. They go over there. They have him shaking hands with this guy who's accused of this horrific, brutal murder. And yet, you know, somebody you've talked to a lot, Dan Jurgen says something that's not Mm -hmm. talked about is even if the Saudis pump more oil, there's not a lot more oil in Saudi and the UAE to significantly change the market. So imagine all of this. They pump it. And then, you know, it's a psychological win, but it doesn't lower cost. And in fact, people have argued that that going, tour so close to their spare capacity could also make the markets very nervous. And Mm -hmm. so you've got, you know, a a fraught situation for the White House. They sent him over there just for this purpose, and it doesn't end up (laughs) achieving even that. I mean, that's a worst case scenario, but one that, according at least to what Dan's saying, could potentially happen. That's right. And Doug, look, let's say he secures lots of oil. They found a missing well. Something happened. It still doesn't overcome the refining bottlenecks that we're dealing with in this country, if he gets a meaningful in, increase in uh, production, could we actually handle it? By Could we turn it into gasoline in this country? It's, it's really not clear that we'll be able to. So it's as, as Jeannie said, it's, it's a psychological win. But, you know, psychology is really important here. And you know, one of the things that Vladimir Putin ultimately decided was he was going to make a bet 
And the bet that Vladimir Putin made was that he was going to be able to get away with everything that he's done in Ukraine. If you're watching what's happening right now and you're Putin, you're more comfortable with your bet today than you were two weeks ago. Well, what do you think about that, Jeannie? Yeah, I think that's very possible. And that is also a real, real problem for this White House. It sure and is. this White House just has tough decisions to make all around, including tariffs in China, which as he's addressing the AFL-CIO today. He's got to make a decision on something that will make his union friends very unhappy. Yeah, a lot of talk about uh, inflation today, about gas prices in front of uh, the union here. Is, are we headed for either a gas tax holiday or we're, we're now hearing as a surtax on oil profits, Doug? Is that coming next? Um, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to pass that through the Senate. Um, but clearly, this is part of the conversation politically that Democrats would rather be having um, than everything else that we've already laid out. And this is more terra firma for Democrats yeah. uh, message wise than anything else they've got. Reminding us again how few options Washington has, not just this White House, in dealing with these problems. Jeannie and Doug stay with us for the hour as we turn next to the Senate Project, an experiment in politics. This is Bloomberg. The very first debate in the Edward M. Kennedy Institute's new Senate Project series took place yesterday. There it is in a scale replica of the Senate chamber right there in Boston, Massachusetts, with Senators Lindsey Graham, the R, of course, and Bernie Sanders, the D. They got together. It was broadcast on Fox. This came from the faux Senate chamber, moderated by Brett Baer. And we wanted to talk about the aims of this whole project and give you a sense of what was said as they got together just hours after this new deal on gun safety legislation was announced. And we're joined by the chair of the board at the EMK Institute, Bruce Persillet. Welcome to Bloomberg. Thank you very much. Congrats on getting this series off the ground. Why does America need this now? We are as divided as at any point in recent memory, and some would argue as divided as we've been up to, up to the Civil War. The Senate is not working, and something needs to be done. It was fascinating to hear from Senators Sanders and Graham, since they're so far apart on so many issues, certainly displayed that over the course of an hour. But I was taken by one particular exchange, Bruce, at the end of the debate, as Senator Graham thought the two had found common ground on the gun safety legislation that's moving through the Senate, actually just announced within hours of this debate taking place. Let's listen to Lindsey Graham. We've made some news here today. Senator Sanders says he'd be open-minded, depending on how it's written, to the package we've negotiated. That's a big deal, because it's not what he would want, to his credit. There are things in there that you'd want that we can't put in the package for different, because other people don't want them. So the fact that Bernie's willing, Brett, maybe to vote for this is very encouraging to me. Referring to Brett Baer, who is moderating, and that sounds pretty good. But when Senator Sanders spoke, Bruce, things, well, didn't sound quite as hopeful. Here's what he said. Most people, frankly, whether they are conservative Republicans or progressives, will tell you, tell me that the Congress is way, way out of touch with the needs of the American people. Now, you may disagree with Medicare for all. You may disagree with expanding Social Security, lifting the cap, whatever it may be. That's not where the American people are at. So, yeah, I believe in bipartisanship. But more important, I believe we have a corrupt political system dominated by wealthy campaign contributors. So, Bruce, this gets to two very important issues. Number one, bipartisan compromise is apparently still possible. But to Senator Sanders' point, 
Does the compromise, in fact, serve the middle ground in America? And is it possible to answer that? It really depends on who's up at bat. Bernie Sanders has very strong views. Um, some would argue strident views. Uh, but, you know, you, 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 if you want 100 percent of your position, you can often find you have 100 percent of nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that Lindsey Graham yesterday was very clear in his willingness to uh, to compromise. And compromise means not getting everything you want. Uh, Bernie Sanders, indeed, uh, is, I believe, going to sign the framework of the gun um, uh, bill that they are now starting to put together. Yeah. And if so, uh, you will have both of them signing it. Neither of them are going to be getting exactly what they want. But um, this is why we have a problem, and, and uh, we need to just chip away at it. But I think some senators are going to uh, be a little more receptive, receptive to the idea than others. Yeah. How difficult has it been, or not, to convince senators to do this? You know what? You, you ask a terrific question, and it surprised us. It has been very easy. Hmm. And what does that tell you? It tells you that these senators want to be able to find an opportunity to to be civil and when they're in washington and they are too close to uh, their own party they can be vilified for uh, what might be considered you know fraternizing with the enemy Mm -hmm. Um, in this case um, you know this is a much safer venue for them to cross um, that great divide and, and reach out to people who too often have been, you know, viewed as, um, you know, the dark side and, and and the enemy when, in fact, you know, we're all on the same team, ultimately. I'm curious, what were the accommodations for the senators, Bruce? Did they see each other yesterday before they were introduced? Uh, they did not. And, and that, in part, was because of where they were flying from and when they were flying in. And so yeah. um, they did not have the chance to kind of have a, um, you know, pre-debate get together but i will tell you that may be a good thing by the way you you know why why leave it in the green room as they say yeah yeah exactly we don't want to save the uh you know the 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 gracious handshake Mm -hmm. for for the green room but uh at the end of the debate i did present them both with a gift and i assured them that (laughs) neither had this particular gift and what i did do was i gave uh, bernie an autographed picture from um, Senator Graham, and I gave Senator Graham an autographed <laughs> picture from Bernie, and they each had written, you know, very pleasant inscriptions uh, huh. to each other uh, when I when I caught them before. So um, I I hope they uh, sit on their mantle versus um, <laughs> yeah. a circular file, or at least in the on the fridge. Uh, Bruce, what's the end game yeah. here for for the institute? You have several more of these debates planned which makes it sound like the Institute is expanding its mission. Oh, there is no question. I don't see an end game in that we want to continue this. Uh, we want to be a convener. A convener. We want to be a resource. Uh, the response that we have gotten, certainly from a media standpoint, uh, has been extraordinary. I just got a clip that was written in the newspaper in India. Um, it has gone all over Europe. <laughs> You know, the world is watching us. The world wants to know that we still are the, 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 the beacon of democracy. And I think it's very unsettling for the rest of the world when, when we are showing 
the type of division that we have. So um, we are definitely planning to elevate our institute. We have a facility that is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, we literally have the exact replica down to the screw head of the United I had States to chuckle Senate. watching them look around the room in the chamber, Bruce. I think they were both wondering how they got back to Washington so quickly. <laughs> Bruce Persley, chair of the board at the Edward M. Kennedy Institute, thank you for creating this forum for intellectual debate and stay in touch with us as it moves forward. Well, thank you, and, and let the healing begin. <laughs> Coming up, we put it to the panel. Speaking of healing, looking ahead as well to the next set of primaries. It's primary day. Jeannie Shamzano and Doug High back with us next on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Senate project debate we just talked about between Bernie Sanders and Lindsey Graham was aimed at inspiring compromise. Taking the time to air out our differences, finding common ground, and the two were more than cordial, even when they did not agree. But they also found the line. And if you ask Senator Bernie Sanders... It's the 2020 election. We have a former president whose name is Donald Trump who goes around the country telling people, hey, I won the election. In fact, I probably won it by a landslide, but they, they stole it. They took it away from me. All right. Now, that happens to be what we call a big lie. And yet many of the Republicans that Senator Graham are asking you to vote for are maintaining that big lie. What does that mean? It goes beyond Trump. It goes beyond the 2020 election. It means what they are saying is the entire system, you can't trust anybody. And if you can't trust the election results, then what is the obvious alternative? We need a strong man. Hmm. That would be Donald Trump. Now, if you ask Lindsey Graham, and he's kind of shaking his head listening to this, listen, listen closely to his answer. Because he acknowledges 2020. For him, it comes down to a different issue, crime, and by extension, funding the police. No, I voted to certify the election. President Biden's the president. 
And what did he Trump... win the election? Yeah. Okay. Now, what about all of the candidates out there who are trying to say that he did? Your Republican candidates that you want people well, to vote for? Well, I, you know, what about the people saying defund the police? You talk to them, I'll talk to that crowd. But your so crowd here. is a lot larger <laughs> than my crowd. Okay, so look, you, you can't agree on everything. And I'm guessing they're not going to go talk to each other's crowds. But a good time to reassemble the panel. I'm deeply curious to hear what Jeannie and Doug think of all of this Bloomberg Politics contributor. Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano. Doug High is back today, Republican strategist, former communications director at the Republican National Committee. Doug, when you hear this, I suspect that, that you appreciate the spirit of this exercise or, or experiment, if we should call it that. Just getting two senators from opposite sides to actually come in there and talk about, of course, one is an independent, to be clear, with Bernie Sanders, but you know what I mean. But there there are intractable points of disagreement. They, they found that line on the 2020 election, just as the January 6th committee hearings are taking place, Doug. We're reminded that while compromise is within reach, we are still deeply divided over issues that don't seem like they're going to resolve anytime soon. No, no, they certainly don't. And as these hearings continue, um, it, it's clear that a case is being built, both a political case and a legal case, um, that is just more and more damning um, every day. And I say that as recently as uh, while we've been on break, seeing more video coming from the committee just over the past few minutes. And, you know, ultimately, you know, this is a very strange time in Washington because we're seeing the first kind of bipartisan legislation potentially on a controversial issue in a long, long time on mm -hmm. guns mm -hmm. and school shootings. And meanwhile, we have what's what's going on at, um, you know, at the January 6th committee and their Supreme Court decisions that are looming that could potentially be massively divisive as well. Jeannie, were you inspired uh, by this exercise or concerned by what you heard? I think it is critically important to have this discussion, and I applaud the Institute for looking for common ground. As you know, I wrote an entire book in another direction. So I have to say, as much as I support the idea of inspiring people to find common ground, the reality is with human beings, you can't just inspire them because some are inspired and some are not. You actually have to restructure the system to and the other thing I would say is the problem is not necessarily division, but it is stalemate. In other words, it's stalemate about things that the supermajority agree with, as we've seen on things like background checks. Mm -hmm. And that stalemate is something that also you can restructure your weight out of. So I applaud the idea of inspiring compromise and looking for it, but more important to have a conversation about restructuring to get there. So it's primary day and Donald Trump uh, I guess touches all of these stories because we're we're back to looking at the Trump impacts on the electorate here. Uh, and we've got some important ones today. South Carolina is the one we're looking at. I suspect that Jeannie and Doug, you are as well, because we've got and this is the first case where we have a Republican candidate who is being challenged by a Trump endorsed candidate after voting to support impeachment. That's Tom Rice, Representative Tom Rice, Republican from South Carolina. He is being challenged by a man named Russell Fry, who's been endorsed by Donald Trump. And they're having fun with the commercials, with the ads up there. Here's a Fry ad where they're in a, like a support group e a meeting. And it's full of bad guys like Satan and the Joker, who's speaking now about this new guest they have in the room. OK, everybody, remember, this is a safe space. 
We're here to get some things off our chest. We've all done things That's we're not joker. so proud of. We haven't had a congressman here in a while, so oh. let's go ahead and start with a Tom, is it? Yeah. Tom, Rice. Tom Rice. Hi, Tom. You don't have to say your last name. He talks about all the horrible things he's done in his life, including voting for impeachment. Now, Tom Rice has his own approach, and it's a very different one. Listen to the language in his ad. I've delivered hundreds of millions for schools, broadband, new roads, and more. Let's put progress over pettiness. Mm. Let's put results over revenge. Mm. I'm Tom Rice. And I approve this message. Results over revenge, Doug High. Who are you watching as a potential winner tomorrow? Can he defend this seat? Uh, he can. Look, you know, what we've seen is, is the Donald Trump endorsement gets the candidate that he endorses to one third of the vote. And from there, it's really up to individual districts, individual races and, and the candidates themselves and how they're running and, and what their success has and, and will be. That's also true with the Arrington Mace race in South Carolina as well. Yep. But what I'm hearing the most from, from folks at the NRSC and the NRCC is not concern about these races and who might emerge, um, but more other races where if somebody uh, wins a primary, it, it, it might cost them a seat. And, and the, mm -hmm. the example I hear more than any other is Missouri, where Eric Greitens in the Senate race is leading by you know six or eight points, depending on the poll that you look at over candidates who would definitely, Republican candidates who would definitely win, and Eric Schmidt, a Vicki Hartzler, uh, Billy Long, both of those, those last two are members of Congress. And so in the prism of the 2010, 2012, 2014 races where Todd Aiken, Richard Murdoch, Sharon Engel, uh, Christine O'Donnell cost Republicans Senate seats that were yep. basically already in the bag, yep. having a risky candidate like Eric Greitens as the nominee is something that's putting real fear um, into Republican minds more so than who may emerge and what something says about Donald Trump. Which is why it's interesting to watch Democrats put money behind uh, some of these Republican candidates in the hopes uh, that they can create a scenario like that. Jeannie, how important is it for Tom Rice to win this tomorrow just in terms of, of blunting the Trump effect? Yeah, Tom Rice, it's so fascinating because he has been defiant. Uh, you know, he has said, if this cost me the election, it would be a badge of honor. So, you know, he's one of 10, uh, you know, who voted for impeachment. So this is going to be a real marker today. And, you know, Joe, I told you earlier, this ad that you just played by that fry yes. is one of my favorite of the season. I wouldn't if, know about it if you hadn't said it to me. If only because it's so weird, because if there's villains, wouldn't they, you know, it was so strange because they're cheering him on because he's so bad. I mean, the whole thing was so bizarre. Um, so I was just fascinated by that ad. But, you know, I think, you know, I agree with Doug, you know, Rice and, and Mace. You know, I think Rice, because of his district, they, yeah. this may go to a runoff. Mace has been a lot less vocal. Um, of course, you know, her third day in Congress, she votes to certify the election. Right. You know, yep. getting Trump's, uh, you know, you know, uh, vitriol and, and anger. And now she's got this opponent who she claims is is not electable so you know mace also has a very different district so i think she's probably got an, a slightly easier shot but again mm -hmm. it's going to be fascinating to watch and then of course as you go over to nevada you've got adam laxalt who's got trump's endorsement but he's coming up against this you know sam brown this newcomer who's outspending him and who also fascinatingly enough is a real you know a, a real person who has been pushing this idea that the election was stolen yeah. and his criticism of Laxalt is that Laxalt did file a lawsuit but he lost and shame on him for losing that he should have won 
So, you know, it's almost like who can out MAGA who at this uh, point? Well, that's I guess that's true, Doug. I mean, it's it's shades of revenge here when it comes to Tom Rice and, and who you, you mentioned Nancy Mace first. She did not vote to impeach Donald Trump, but she did criticize him for January 6th and has been paying for it ever since. It got to the point, Doug, and I'm, I'm, you probably saw the video. She went to New York. In fact, we spoke with her that same day, and she stood in front of Trump Tower to take a selfie video to try to set the record straight on the fact that she, in fact, she supported Donald Trump's policies. Uh, I mean, this is really something for him to be inspired to endorse a candidate against her, even though she didn't vote to impeach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because what we see so often is regardless of who Trump uh, nominates or endorses, that a lot of the Republicans are going to run to be as Trumpy as they can be anyways. Clearly, that was the uh, Pennsylvania Senate primary. And yes, right. so that's that's a real factor. Look, Republicans know that the that the base of power is essentially around Donald Trump, even if it doesn't follow specifically whom mm-hmm. Trump endorses or doesn't endorse. Madison Cawthorn, for instance, um, lost right. in North Carolina uh, to Chuck Edwards. So Republicans are looking to see, you know, what is the size of the Trump electorate? And generally, the Trump endorsement carries a third. And then uh-huh. we'll see from there. And can they nominate Republicans who can win in November? And that's first and foremost on their mind. The big question. Great analysis from Doug High, Jeannie Shanzano. Thanks to you both for being our panel these last couple of days. Happy primary day. We'll have results tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.